Welcome to another episode of Wild and Exposed, your wildlife photography and outdoor adventure podcast. This week's show features Michael Morrow, Ron Hayes, and myself, Mark Raycroft, all in person together in the Kenai Peninsula of Alaska. We've had a grand adventure. We have lots of stories. We were out at sea for three individual days, and what we saw was it was way beyond my expectations, I can tell you that. The diversity of wildlife, landscape, on land, offshore, the variety was incredible. And just sightseeing, second to none. And to see that coastline, Kenai Fjords, spectacular. And we were able to capture some great video. I had fun playing with the Osmo Pocket, doing slow-mo. For those of you that have the Pocket, something I've learned on this trip, playing with it extensively or using it extensively, is that on the slow-mo mode on the camera, it actually does crop in on the sensor, which was advantageous for open country filming. We had, I don't know if I want to jump into stories right away or not, we all have our highlights, and there's so so much to tell after three days. You know, you think that one day of, of hiring a charter. So we hired a 33-foot catamaran boat. had great power. could cover a lot of water, a lot of different country to see from the coastline. And it was worth doing from that perspective. It was a maximum of six passengers. And at first... In all honesty, seemed a little costly. Now that the trip is done, absolutely not. By the time we got here, to have the experience we had, to be on water's level on a relatively small boat that was going to, to search out and seek out natural sites that we were hoping to, and more, more than we were hoping to see. But with our objective in mind, and to be able to cater the trip that way was honestly second to none and well worth the expense. And especially when you think about it, when you divide it up between a few people, uh, the three of us are split the cost on, on this boat for three days. And the nice thing about three days, of course, too, we could go up the coast or down the coast. We could check out different fjords and also you'd have different weather scenarios. And just by luck, I mean, again, the wealth of wildlife, you don't know what you'll encounter on any given day. And by doing it for the three consecutive days, I, I you know, it was really worth uh, signing up for that duration because of the diversity of wildlife that we saw both uh, marine mammals, uh, the bird life was phenomenal along the shoreline and, and the coast and the landscape itself, mesmerizing. Amazing. Stupendous. <laughs> phenomenal. So, Ron, what, what was Sorry. one of your highlights of experience? Well, on? you know, I like the marine wildlife, of course, um, but my highlight, no doubt, was the glacier. Was that the first time you rounded a corner and saw a glacier like that? Something like that, that was that blue, absolutely. Yeah, yeah I've never seen anything like it. And even if you've watched Glacier's Cave on TV, that's, that's pretty awe-inspiring, thinking about the size of the ice that's fallen off those those giant masses. But when we came around that bay or came around the corner of that bay or the end of that bay and saw nothing but blue ice running up through the middle of it two gigantic veins in set in the environment that it was set in and on top of that there were harbor seals on every you know every so often on the on the big ice chunks or icebergs that were coming off of that thing they were up sunning themselves so we had the wildlife factor as well, but that was far and away the the highlight for me. I could have I could have stayed there for three days. <laughs> time time stood still. Oh, it did absolutely. Yeah. Just did. waiting for the calving, hearing with the depth of these glaciers, hearing the the thunder mm -hmm. sounds way back in its bowels. That's a wrong word. Way back. <laughs> 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 Sorry. Hearing, hearing the thunder coming from way back in this massive mound of ice, it, it was, it just reverberated right through me. Anyway, oh, I felt absolutely. it, and then you keep hearing it, and you look to your left, you look to your right, and where's it going to calf, calf next? And have your camera this way, that way, get ready to go. 
and we we got some and i was doing again using this that was another situation with the slow-mo on the pocket zoomed in enough and i think the slow-mo was helpful because it extended the scene of the calving when it did occur the only disadvantage of that on the pocket was no audio by shooting it in slow-mo but so that's something has to be added later but there was lots of opportunity to collect audio because it, we probably heard the thunderous cracks more than more than 10 times well we heard the thunderous cracks probably 10 times more than when it would calf makes sense right. one calf yeah. for 10 is it calf or calf 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 i don't yeah. know i would think it's, it's i don't know it's calf calf, calf as in plural calves calf mm -hmm. okay calf we're doing that again okay <laughs> no no leave it in there <laughs> we're i'm doing... sure everybody has that question i just don't want to say it wrong and then have everybody email us and say what are you thinking well i i but anyway, when we would see it, I would way. see you would see a piece of chunk, a chunk of ice fall, right? And you wouldn't hear and it. Then you would hear it. Yeah, and that told us. I mean, this thing was enormous, mm -hmm. and so you had the feeling that you were really close. But like you said, when that sound takes that long to get to you, you understand how far you are away from it, and just how big this thing is. What did he tell us? He said he could motor up to within a half a mile right or was it a quarter I think he of a said mile, quarter mile. I think, yeah. but i always felt like man he's breaking the barrier we're getting in super close but i don't think we were ever even close to a quarter and of a mile. then the ice would fall and one two three and then you hear it yeah we're not no we're but no we're close but it is deceiving mm -hmm. you think you're much closer than i looked at because when we start rounding into the into the bay it's already looking gigantic. You can capture the whole scene, but you get closer and closer and closer. And it's the same we're scenario. We're miles away not, from it. Yeah. Not used to it. And it's like, well, yeah, we're pretty close now. Mm -hmm. And if one of those big pieces come off, what, what happens? You know? So mm -hmm. it was, that well, was that fun. was the other thing. Because up on the sides of this valley, or that fjord, mm -hmm. there were huge ice chunks up there that would fall periodically. Right. Mm -hmm. And we never saw a great big chunk fall. No, I don't think there was ever a danger, but it was just no, no, no. But the if it did, that would right. be a sight to behold, I'm sure. And the noise mm. from that would be amazing, I'm sure. Right, but yeah, the number of seals on on the flows, and then something else I I learned from our boat captain was when it did have right at the face, there were a whole flock of gulls there, and so I would look out, right, and it's just it looks like. They don't look big at the distance we were, some of the calving. It looked like bowling balls. But obviously, they were the size of cars. And somebody, because you'd see the splash and hear the sound would be right. much more than if somebody threw a bowling ball in. But this flock of birds would fly up and then back down. And I'm thinking, why are they right near the face of the glacier? And he was saying that it would disturb the it shrimp. stirs up the shrimp, yeah. And they'd surface, and then the gulls would feed on them. That was very interesting. I had no idea that occurred. Along those, not along those lines, but another thing about when you said, rent, you know, um, renting a boat for three days individually, mm -hmm. the cool thing was we were able to get out to some of these sites before other boats, which gave you that experience solo, right? Mm -hmm. Which was kind of cool. Right. That was a lot different. And I think we saw behavior that you may not see if there's a bunch of boats. Absolutely. And especially with a smaller vessel, too. And I don't know. I mean, I think we might as well share with the audience what this trip costs us because i could see them all wondering by our talking about it what you know ballpark where it's in and it you know first when i think about it so it was approximately two thousand dollars a day for mm -hmm. the boat for the boat yep. and the captain and the captain and his knowledge i mean he, he could free granola bars free granola bars <laughs> and, and and he was exceptional at navigating that boat but the, my point is it's far more expensive than going on a cruise on these larger boats that fit 300 people. People still experience glaciers um, and the coastline, and we'll see the wildlife, bird, and, and marine mammals. But this was a 10 hours each day, and when you divide up three ways, or as I mentioned earlier, he would take up to six passengers. So if you had five or six people, that's not a lot for the personal up-close experience as you'll hear as this podcast goes on, that we were mm -hmm. privileged to. 
And right. it really was. I mean, for people who come to the coast of Alaska for, I believe, for people who don't live here, for 95% of the tourists, it's, it's probably a once-in-a-lifetime thing. So to split it up that way, it's going to be more expensive than taking a half-day cruise in one of these big ships. But you've got a full day, and you will see much more and in a more intimate fashion by paying a little bit more. So even with five, six people, it's, to me, a worthy experience. I mean, I don't know if I want to jump in. So you've talked about glaciers, and we'll probably keep coming back to that at times because it was incredible. My favorite experience was a pot of orcas that came and I was I could hard was it 11 animals maybe hard to know quite a few initially we thought it was only like six or seven okay but then the second yeah we viewed them on the way back we saw them as we went by and they were spread out spread out yeah but magnificent huge and we the the boat was parallel to them at a respectful distance and we shut off the boat, and then they came to us and went under the boat and around the boat as they passed. And that was incredible just to witness, to see them in the open ocean. We were fairways offshore, and, yeah, that was that was my favorite. So there will be a couple of clips in the show notes that you can go see at wildandexposed.com with any of the stuff we talk about today. But those slow motion clips will be there, and those were shot simply on the Osmo Pocket. Mm-hmm. What I'm going to try to do, too, is as we talk about stuff in this podcast, I'll put the appropriate footage over it for the youtube presentation for the youtube yeah so, so if somebody wants there. to listen and look at the footage that'd be the place to do it absolutely and that's it's yeah. no guarantee it takes a lot of time but this would be the perfect trip to do that with right because oh, you could talk about everything we saw we have so much footage between stills and video that give some visuals shouldn't yeah. be hard to collect enough to cover it without too much stress i hope on mm-hmm. post-production <laughs> How about you? Yeah, a highlight. A highlight would probably be watching you guys was the highlight for me. Thanks, buddy. I mean, watching you guys when we came around that corner, I looked at both of you, and you were just like, you were just like glued. It was no words. It was just like awe. It was pretty cool. I mean, I'm awed by all of it, all of it anytime I do it, but. To be able to get that close. And I've never done it like that on a little boat. So that was kind of cool. I've done it on the big boats like mm-hmm. you were talking about where you mm-hmm. pay anywhere from what, 150 bucks to 300 bucks per person. And there's one out of Whittier that does 26 glaciers in a day. And we got that close in that big boat. And it was cool. I mean, I, I would have told you, no, I'll never do that. And my folks were up and I did it. And it was just as cool. The thing is, is you're sharing it with 300 people as opposed to sharing it with your right. buddies are, you know, six people. And then the journey out there is not as fun. You know, we mm-hmm. get to see all kinds. Of, if we see something cool, we stop in the small mm-hmm. boat. And we go into these coves and right in tight with these puffin colonies right. and, and sea lions. Right. And, but going with the big boats, they're just point A to point B. And they yeah. talk about that stuff as they're passing it, but they can't afford the time to stop and look at puffins. They do, but in just one spot. We could stop ten times if we wanted to. And our guy was totally, he was at the, he'd do whatever we asked. So we didn't mm-hmm. have to do, if we wanted puffins, he'd, he knew all the puffin colonies. And he would say, okay, let's do this. Or we'd say, hey, can we go photograph those puffins? He's like, no, you don't want to waste your time there. We'll go over here. Right. So that's the cool thing about having the yeah. boat to yourself. The local knowledge and, yeah, being able to dictate where we want, what we wanted to do. And the guy we used is so knowledgeable, too. I mean, he's been doing it for a long time. So he has a lot of knowledge. History, biology, mm-hmm. you know, just what the locals, you know, mm-hmm. some modern history. So it's just like within the last 50 years, which was kind of cool to hear. But then all the geologic history. So I don't know. I, I, th- and I think you get a lot of that on those big boats, too. But it was just cooler. It's just a more intimate experience like we did it. Definitely. And we did a podcast with him. And, you know, and just to put this out there, we paid full fare. There was no deal with him. Uh, that way but it was worth doing a podcast from his perspective that we shared with you as well so for our listeners and viewers if you're watching us on youtube it's it's a it's a tip because it's an experience he was great we really enjoyed our time with him and you'll be easy to find easy to find his information through our website and links there as well and the way we found him is i went out with him last year and if you go back in the archives of the podcast i think we did a podcast about that and it was just an accident i just happened to 
have a buddy that was going out and he invited me and I was like, yeah. Mm-hmm. So it was one of those things that turned it into this. And now it's something I think we would probably consider doing every year. Right. Because you're getting new yeah. content out of it. I would say this year was challenging at times because we had a lot of smoke. This is a dry year in Alaska. So we had to deal with, you know, the atmosphere could have been better. But smoke and given the, the morning temperatures and the temperature of the water, there was a lot of fog. A lot of fog. And you could get the fog and you could get clouds every year, too. I mean, it's not just the fires that are causing problems. You know, mm-hmm. you could pick three days that are just three really bad days, and that's just the luck of the draw. But right. normally, if you just plan on July, it's pretty safe bet you're going to get one good day or I, two good days. I was relieved that we, we didn't get rained out or anything like that. I mean, obviously, it's been so dry, so mm-hmm. it hasn't been an issue this year. But it, when we were scheduling this trip, that was my concern. We're booking three days. You know, how many of those days are going to be nice weather, what we're looking for? And every day worked out. We had good light each day. And one nice thing about Bill and his charter service was that we could pivot the time. If, if it was right. dense fog in the morning and, and very low visibility, we could delayed departure for even a few hours because it was a 10-hour rental. And and the days being so long here at this time of year was a non-issue. In fact, it was kind of cool to be out there for evening as well because all of the other boats had returned the tour boats. If we happened to be where the tour boats were, I think at times we were in different areas or went further because of the capabilities of his vessel. But It's kind of like the old Denali days when you had a Denali permit. You were out there with all the buses. But if you waited till the end of the day those last buses would start to leave the park. And then all of a sudden you're out there on a permit that has access to 90 miles of road of great light. Yeah. and awesome light. And you're basically by yourself in the middle of 6 million acres. So that's the feeling I got out there when, if we, if we would prolong the, the de- departure. And I think he'd be totally willing to do that. And I think part of the reason for that, well, 90% of the reason he did that was for safety. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't want to be out there in that water with a bunch of boats in that fog because right you, there's the chance of that but then there's also you know i don't know what do you say that boat goes 19 knots 20 oh, knots it was over 20 mm-hmm. i think it was over 20 yep so but in the fog he was going to be lucky to do six right and so the amount of time that you're wasting just motoring out there just to be safe it's just easier to wait for the fog to lift which, which it did it was good so it was a relief that i thought all three days were good workable weather and, and great different experiences each day you know second day was more glacier time mm-hmm. third day we had the phenomenal luck with the orcas and then yeah first day was a variety of things I mean, we saw fin whales uh, and they were I mean, obviously most of them below the surface and they're not breaching or anything but enormous the, just to see their them come up their body and then dive again but it, we didn't spend much time with them because they dive for 20 or 25 minutes and you don't they could pop up a mile away incredible yeah just nice to see though well and they're hard to shoot mm-hmm. they're not photographable no i mean you get unless you jump you in. get the first breath and that's your warning <laughs> and then the second breath and then you get the big back arch and mm-hmm. then they're gone mm-hmm. for like mark said eight to 20 minutes but i, I want to say too or I feel that I took far more away from these days, these three days on the water for memory and experience than as far than compared to photos or video. It meant a lot more to me to see this landscape and these ecosystems and to watch these puffins just flying and buzzing and popping up everywhere and sea otters and whales and and just the coastline. The cliffs are incredible and the, the clouds and the fog drifting through and some of the footage we got that way. So it was a, a great combination of photographic opportunities and video, but honestly, it was more just the life experience that, that mm-hmm. I, that'll mm-hmm. stick with me. Just being out there is something unique that I have never had that privilege to be on a boat that size, to cover that much ground, to see these amazing destinations of the Kenai Fjords. It's incredible. Oh, it was incredible. unreal. And I honestly think the best, the best image that I got the whole trip was in the fog on those spire those spire islands mm-hmm. in the fog. I, I think that was far and away the most dramatic shot that I'm going to take away from this. And I haven't looked at it again. I did check it on the back of my camera, but I haven't looked at it on full screen yet. But the the landscapes were incredible. 
And that's what I tell everybody when, you know, why do you go to Alaska so much? Number one, for the wildlife. But number two, everywhere you look in Alaska is, is a landscape photo waiting to happen. It's if you get the right light, boom, you've got an amazing shot no matter where you point your camera. Everywhere. It just comes so straight up out of the ocean. It, Alaska is just so vertical that I think it lends itself to a lot of shadows and you can kind of create the depth that you're actually seeing, actually visualizing. So that's why Alaska. And I, there were times, you know, Mike talked about <laughs> you and I, I came around the corner when we, when we came up to the, the big glacier or the, the blue glacier, uh, what is it called? Is that Northwest? Northwest. Northwest. Yeah. When we came around the corner, I just, it was, it was funny because the whole trip, everybody was visiting and, and talking and the captain was, you know, educating us on, on the landscape and the ecosystem. And when you came around the corner and saw that thing, the whole boat just went silent. I mean, the only thing you could hear was the, the motor and he was going nice and slow because he was going through the ice, but you could hear the boat motor and everybody else was just quiet. You heard the tinking of ice hitting the aluminum of the boat occasionally. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think for me, it was, I'd never been that far out in the Kenai Fjords, which was cool, right? And it's such a hard park to get. I mean, the only access is really a boat. Mm -hmm. The cool access would be a kayak. But that does, that requires a lot of planning Mm because you have to plan. I mean, you can do a date kayak trip. But I think a cool trip would be to go into some of these fjords where there's camping spots, organize your kayak, organize your camp, go out there for two or three days, and then you, you're, that would be amazing. I was under the impression, I could be wrong, that there were guided trips that way. I mean, you could do it yourself. There are. It's just a matter of hiring a captain and a boat to drop you off and then pick you up when you wanted mm-hmm. to be. And we did see a few incredible well, and bays our boat and, captain did that. and yeah, beaches did that. with tents set up on them, people mm-hmm. who were there. Not very many, a couple here and there, but yeah, that would be the, that would be incredible. We talked about that as an idea. If you could pick a fjord that had wildlife glacier, then to spend two or three days would be what? What kind of word do we use in this this situation? We try to you know amazing, incredible, stupendous. <laughs> I'm not gonna. I mean, yeah, and you know my favorite. So, and that one applied multiple times oh yeah yeah <laughs> there's absolutely no no regrets we were very fortunate with good weather but really truly it was a, a life experience that created a lot of appreciation for this coastline and the ecosystem and the wealth of i mean the bird life was phenomenal anybody into birds and bill had mentioned that there have been times that birders have just hired his boat mm-hmm. a collection of friends and they went out and they had certain species they were hoping to see and he knows his birds he does. He's, he's definitely had a lot of birds on board because he he pays attention to what he's looking at and and from a distance most of these birds are fairly small. Puffin are not huge birds. Um, they would be probably a small grouse size, but they fly a lot faster once they get off the water. Once they get off the water, <laughs> if they haven't eaten. Yeah, and uh, and a lot of the birds were similar in size. The mirrors and the the parakeet auklets, probably the rarest bird that we saw, they were maybe half a puffin size. <laughs> they were they were tiny, and he just saw a whole cluster of them and knew right away what they were. And we were actually photographing a raft of sea otters at that time, and he just happened to glance over and see these parakeet auklets and. I never would have even probably paid attention to them. Right. Had he not described how how rare they were. And and he had two or three birding books on the boat, so when mm-hmm. something was seen he'd pass that around and talk about it. He was he was very interested in that stuff himself. And he brought up those parakeet auklets mm-hmm. a few times over the, the three days. So Yeah, he was excited about yeah, that right. opportunity. So, so I knew we should have probably been more excited than we were. Probably. <laughs> Well, but, but yeah, unless you're a birder and you just, I mean, you can add it to your life bird list, right? Mm-hmm. But I haven't not? started that. It's, there's a, there's, it's a uh, library it's too late in my for brain, me to start. Yeah, it's, 
I appreciate seeing all the species and, and certainly remember them, but the list would take me a while to write that down. I've got the Sibley app on my phone, and so you can you can go in and put the location and date and that you viewed them, and it creates the list for you. I've not heard of that. Tell us about the Sibley app. Yeah, it's it basically is the Sibley bird book. Can you go back in time and do it? Like, can we go back through this trip, or does it have to be? The you can manually put the date in, but if I, you know, like these birds, I went in and just each one i put them in the app and then it it by default puts the day's date into sure. into the app but it's got you know bird songs if you think you hear something that you're not sure about you can go back and check the the song or the vocalization you can is it a free look app? at different uh no it how is much not is a it? free app it's an expensive app it's about 19 dollars Oh, well, for what it offers. But for what it offers, it, it'll it tell you, you know, where to go, what time of year, what, you know, molting colors, when are you going to get the breeding plumage if you're if you're looking to photograph these birds, all that kind of thing. Interesting. Well, check that out. What did he say about the birders that come out? For the big year. The big year, that was it. Yes, there's competition every year to find, you know, what birder can identify the most species or not just identify, but see the most species. And most of them year. can see everything. It's the ones that throw you over the threshold are the exotics, right? The yeah, ones that get blown in from... The, yeah, you get the storms out, like in the Aleutian Islands, in that stream, you get the storms that blow those birds in from Asia. And he said that's when everybody wants to come up here because they're going to get those rare species that don't, because the big year, you can only count species that you see in North America. And so I, I would assume it's probably the same, you know, down in Florida. There are storms that force species up from South America that aren't normally seen. So you get those migratory paths, but then you get the the weather that actually enhances the number of species that frequent an area. And so that's, he said he took groups out to the Aleutians, and, which is crazy because the, the waters out in the Aleutians are no joke. There yeah, I would imagine. are some crazy storms out there. There, just for figures, that big year. I think I remember Bill saying that the winners who had the most birds were around seven hundred and forty species so, or something yep. in the year, seven forty, seven fifty, something like that. I think seven fifty puts you in the top spot in the elite. Yeah, because that includes the, or that's how I took it. That they that would include the exotics. Mm. Well, a lot of bird life out there. The Aleutians are something I wanted to touch on just quickly, even on the podcast that we did with him, and just encourage our listeners to go and look at a map of Alaska. And I saw something interesting at your place, Michael, because you had they had overlaid the map of Alaska over the lower 48 map, and it was amazing to see that comparison, how big Alaska is. It goes spans, when you include the Aleutians, spans mm -hmm. pretty well the continent. It goes from Florida to California. Right. Yep. Yeah. So when you look at a map of Alaska and look at those on the bottom left, those Aleutian Islands that sweep out into the ocean, wow. <laughs> it's hard to comprehend because it's just such a vast area. And, yeah, I don't think most people ever, you just look at the big mm -hmm. contiguous state. You don't look at all these islands. That, and then if you look at it in context to the rest of the world, I mean, those islands are running right underneath Russia. I mean, so it's going as far. Right. I mean, I don't know what time zone it is out there, but it's got to be the Hawaiian time zone or even past that. I don't know. Wow. So, yeah, it's it's a vast, vast. I mean, I would love to go out. And that's one thing he was saying that he wants to do. Right. Living in Alaska and doing, getting to do what he wants, getting to do everything he gets to do, that's on so, his bucket list. That's a lifetime right? list. So it's a that's a big endeavor. That's a win the lottery kind of deal. Mm-hmm. It would be in yeah. every way, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It'd be something to see, but you'd want lots of time because you'd have to wait at weather smartly out there. Yeah, I think that's one of the biggest factors is you can sit there for a week waiting for a fog to lift or mm -hmm. both going and coming. And when you get there, yeah, you might wait two weeks before it lifts so you can get back, depending yep. on how many others are waiting. 
Something to think about. Not, I mean, it's not necessarily on my bucket list. It's There's kind of, a caribou species, reindeer species out there that is the biggest, largest antlers compared to body size on the planet. Is that right? All right. Okay. So <laughs> it might be higher on your list. Is it on now. one of the islands? Yes. Really? I hadn't it's heard that. Nations. It's just, He's it's such just a mind little blowing. Vast of knowledge, I right? And it. he just yeah. like yeah. comes out of the left field with all these little wildlife facts that I somebody had never watched heard of. too much <laughs> National Geographic television, right? Well, it's or little... reads books that nobody else reads. I don't know. Well, I'm, I'm, yeah, that'd be cool to see. But I'm, I'm basically just mind blowing how how vast those, how far the islands go out. Mm-hmm. And you definitely want to have an experienced captain to navigate that stuff. Well, that would be one way to do it is on a boat. Mm-hmm. That'd be more reliable. But then you're dealing with rough seas. But so how else would you do it if you weren't on a you boat? You can fly out to a couple of those fly islands. Out. Oh, is that right? Like if you get out to Dutch Harbor, right? You're pretty far out there, and at that point, you could probably hop a boat, or then you're in a small plane, or. Okay. I don't know. I don't know enough about. I just know bits and pieces. Not even as much as Ron knows. Well, I'll, that's that's pretty much the extent of my knowledge. <laughs> so there's small communities out on some of these islands. Of people. Yeah, there's a, a kid from the town I'm from, which the town I'm from is small, the map dot. And uh, he is a coach on one of these islands. And it's a pretty much a native community, and he's a basketball, co- basketball coach. Really? And for them to play games, they have to fly to every game. Well, and and Bill, the knowledge that he gained, he he kind of shared a little bit in the conversation that we had with him. But uh, he was a historian, mm-hmm. and the environmental of, history, environmental history is his degree. And the Aleutian Islands there were actually Japanese troops that came up and occupied some of the Aleutian Islands because they thought it was going to get them to the mainland of Alaska and then you know come down the coast. And so the the outposts are still there, and that the areas that are occupied are pretty much, you know, from those outposts or what was left of them, or, or a lot of them. Yeah, it was interesting to hear, too. And he also shared a lot of um, mariner sea life history. Mm-hmm. You know, somebody so and so name disappeared here so many years ago, and what was it? Pete's Wicked Pete? No, not Wicked Pete. That's Herring coffee. Pete. Herring Pete. Because he fell in a vat of herring. So he, that yeah, got his that nickname. Name. That's how he got his nickname. And then he disappeared. Taking a shipment of gold, right? Or was that a di- No, that was, was a different it story. It was fish. It was fish, and he was taking yeah. them to Kodiak because That's right, was because too he long. couldn't offload them fast enough. It's going to be a couple of days to offload them in Seward, so he decided to go to Kodiak, and mm-hmm. somebody spotted him going through this channel between islands, and that was the last I've ever seen. And so they named that channel or that passage or whatever mm-hmm. whatever it was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Herring Peak. Very interesting history. It was awesome. It was just a, the whole thing. You know, we didn't get to see bubble net feeding, which is hard to see anyway. I mean, I think that was kind of on the top of my list for, you know, but you see it once and you assume, oh, well, I'll come back next year and shoot that. Well, <laughs> easier said than done in this part of Alaska. Mm-hmm. So... We heard of it. Yeah. We looked for it a little bit. But then, like he said, too, you can go on wild goose chases where you hear, oh, yeah, in this bay we saw him bubbling. You know, it might be a fisherman that was out and said, oh, yeah, we saw him, you know, right next to the boat or whatever. So you go out the next day and they're probably around, but where? Yeah, it's that water, even even though there are some tight channels and and bays and things that water is huge and to be able to be able to be fortunate enough to bump into you know that behavior let alone i don't we didn't even see a humpback did we we're in the probably one of the humpback viewing capitals of the world there's a a few of them and we didn't even see one yeah he said most years you would stop counting spouts you'd see so many as you're going from one destination to another mm-hmm. after you'd seen so many but the warmer waters in his opinion was trending them more further north for feed 
But the bubble nut feeding, I mean, it sounds like that can go on for three or four or five days if you're lucky. And I think it was the second day, yeah, the second day we heard that it was occurring in a different area than what we'd been searching in. So we were headed out on day three in that direction and then had received radio from people who had been out there that they hadn't been spotted. So they were likely moved on. And considering how far it was to go, we swung off and went in a different and direction. And we were in a much well, you might so as well tell that story. We're going there. Okay. So, <laughs> <All right. laughs> we had. I don't know if that. We've had a few issues on this trip, and it's just kind of part of being, you know, Mike and it's Missy. Fact. fact. When you uh, listen to the podcast about their trip north when they drove the Alaskan Highway, it's just fact of life. You're going to have things happen, and you just have to adapt and overcome. So one of the things that we were faced with this really nice and fast boat that we were on the he was having battery problems on the third morning on the third morning it was our last morning. and we didn't get that far out and i was so impressed i mean the the noise of the water the noise of the motors you're cruising out there and he's like what's that noise yeah he just shut it down and i did not hear anything differently i after he said something i was like hmm, that sounds a little different i don't i don't know it doesn't sound like it's something that i would stop the boat for but i need to hear something but go ahead yeah and so he shut it down we went back and tied it back off in the slip and he had a battery issue or a regulator issue something was one of the making engines. a battery heat up yeah and so we we just kind of went ashore for a little bit uh looked around town visited some different places and then he had called and, and he gave us a couple options one of the options was wait till the next day he was going to try to get the part and get it fixed, but we had plans for that time. So the other option was to jump on a different boat. And what I will say, coming to Alaska, you want to take in the landscapes, you want to take in the wildlife. But one of my f favorite parts that, of this trip is the people. We have met some characters. And... Captain Sam was, they call him, what, Yosemite Sam, I think. That Somebody was, did. That was the radio name that came across. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yep. So. Um, Great guy. We were on his boat, and it was a much slower boat. It was an older boat. Got us from point A to point B, and got us into some phenomenal encounters, as Mark kind of described. But we had the option to go on that boat and go out for the day, which we chose to do. It it was different, but we did have some amazing encounters, and I don't know that I would have traded it. It would mm -hmm. have been nice to cover ground a little bit faster, or get across the water a little bit faster. But who well, knows? it made me realize how far we're going. Because in that faster boat, you would be out thirty miles, and to me, it seemed like maybe five. Mm -hmm. It's like, oh yeah, I can see back there, Seward. Not really. <laughs> you can't see Seward. We're 30 miles out there. <laughs> or you round the corner and you go up these fjords and it's, you know, as a crow flies, it might be 10 miles. But water-wise, we're 30 miles out there. Mm -hmm. And you don't realize that until you're on a slow boat. <laughs> so, Sam, I know I know you're going to listen because you asked us to send this to you. and It was a great day and, and you enjoyed your company so much. And I just, it was inexperienced for us with boats. But I get the impression but, from Sam is the dude's retired. She sure. loves to fish. Mm -hmm. It's probably the perfect boat for fishing. And he doesn't have to go anywhere fast. Exactly. He is oh, just living yeah. life, and he's just and out there doing it. Yeah, yeah, the boat is set up for him personally and for his family primarily. They they can take overnight trips on the boats. There were beds on the boat. That's what he said he liked to do, go for two or three and days. Mm -hmm. that... In that way, it was great because it is exhausting being out there on the water for that long. And, you know, I'm here with my son. Mark's here with his wife. And then, of course, Missy's here with Mike. And uh, they were able to catch some naps and sleep on the on a mattress instead of bobbling their head around on a, on a couch or on a boat mm -hmm. seat. And Sam was a character. Well, the cool thing about Sam's boat, too, is you could sit on top. Oh True. yeah, yeah. So it's a whole different perspective. Whereas on the growler, mm. it's you're always on the water, you're always mm. on the main deck. But he had an upper deck, right. and that was a whole new perspective. It was kind of cool. I went and shot some images from up there just because it was different. 
Right. Mm -hmm. And I think Mark even captained the boat there for a second. <laughs> yeah, well, in the upper deck there was a chair behind the <laughs> wheel, right? So it was it was fake. It was, but it, I mean, it, it, it didn't even work. I don't. Not at this point in time. But Sam did mention he is going to get you hooked back up because he really enjoyed captaining from up on from top. Up on top. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Was, so I was pretending for a moment. Yes, <laughs> couldn't help. You know, the wind in your in your hair or what's left of it. <laughs> but it was. Uh, yeah, there were other. Yeah, it was. It was. All around, and and no complaints over any part of that third day because of what we experienced. Oh, absolutely. Well, just and, meeting and Sam was cool. Meeting yeah, Sam was absolutely. fantastic and listening yeah. to some of the stories that he had. and For sure, for sure. Well, tell him the one story. he's had in his life. He probably so. wouldn't care if we shared it, would he? Oh, I don't, I don't, I don't think so. I don't know why. We can ask him, but Sam was Bob Seeger's first roadie. Oh, well, he drove, yeah, the truck, right, right. <laughs> So he had he had some some trucks and box trailers in Michigan when Bob Seeger and the Silver Bullet Band just started to travel and he ended up traveling with them for a couple of years. It was from the same hometown as him, right? Yeah. Yeah. He had a cousin or a friend who went to high school with Bob Seeger and right. that was the introduction. See, what a story. Yeah, you don't get to meet people like that unless you have things happen and it was just right. awesome. It was It was fortuitous for sure. Yeah. And we that was the best day of the orcas. Yes. So definitely. The, yeah, while the boat was a little slower, it actually got us on mm -hmm. was it two different pods that day? Yeah, one in a bay and one out in the open water. Two one tw we accidentally ran into them a second time. Just navigating our way back. Just, just headed back and mm -hmm. all of a sudden boom there they And the were. only reason we could tell it was the same one is because there was a dorsal fin missing one on one of the dorsal fin that was missing right. on a young had that not happened, or had that not been the situation, I think for me as a newbie, I would have been able to say, mm, I don't know if that's the same pod or not. Yeah, and that's the pod that Mark was touching on earlier. We thought there was, what, six, seven animals in that pod. And then when they when we saw them the second time, they were strung out. They weren't all together. Because when they're all together, you just think it's the same group coming up breathing again. You know, catch a breath while they're traveling. But... When uh, we saw them the second time, they were really spread out. There was a huge male in that pod. That dorsal fin that had to be six feet. Mm. Oh, yeah. Just Biggest looking at it off the, off the water. It was as tall. It, I was not saying much, but it was as tall as me. <laughs> <laughs> and I was standing on the boat. Bill was super excited, too, because he thought, wow, we're seeing lots of orcas. This could be the making of a super pod. Super pod, yeah. Which would be kind of cool to see i don't know very cool epically cool so someone better explain what a super pilot is because well if you listen back uh when we interviewed captain kurt jackson um when michael and i were in homer he kind of described the super pod phenomena it's when several pods come together and it's for breeding purposes you know kind of diversify the gene pool so you'll have males from one pod breeding with females from another and so they don't end up being interbred. Mm. And I don't know that orcas are smart, yeah. but I don't know if they've thought that through well, cognitively. But the other interesting thing I I heard from him. So we had the superpod, but then he also talked about locals, transients, and what was the other group? Open ocean. Open ocean. But so there's the three different kind. Ocean. Well, the transients. I th I think the way that he was defining the transients is they would move frequently up and down the the inside passage or even you know on the ocean side but the open ocean were he Pretty talked much about out in the open ocean they yeah, didn't I come in i was i mean i'd have to look it up i always thought there were resident orcas who had their bays like in these collection of fjords inside passage near vancouver up the bc mm -hmm. coast and then there are transient ones that just move over long ranges, whether it's open ocean or through yeah. these passages. That was the first time I'd heard anybody describe the... A third category. A third category. Yeah, same here. Yep. And, and the resident orcas typically are fish eaters, salmon and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Perhaps seals, I could be wrong on mm. that. Just salmon. Just salmon. Just salmon, whereas the transients are marine mammal eaters and then also sharks Yeah. too. So... How they would, and, and I think Bill described this, that they would take a big shark like a great white and hit it and tip it upside down. 
to prey on it because when a shark goes upside down, then it becomes... They pass out, basically, blackout. Right. So, interesting. Well, the, I was asking him, you know, we got we were fortunate enough to photograph some breaching humpbacks last year. And since we didn't see any humpbacks and we're seeing all these orcas, I was like, so is there ever opportunity to have these, these whales get excited and start breaching? He's like, these, what do we call them, locals? Resident orcas, yeah. Mm -hmm. The resident orcas, they don't, the salmon eaters, they're just pretty docile and they very seldom, he said occasionally the little little ones might come out of the water. But he said the transients, they will throw a party when, after a kill. Right. And then they all get it and they'll all breach. So mm -hmm. it's it, that to me was kind of cool just to hear all the different. And then they all have different ways of hunting. Mm hmm some are very vocal. Some aren't vocal at all because it messes with their hunting. I mean, just, just you could spend a whole summer, right? Oh, and just so much to learn and see. And yeah, learn. The transients will also prey on whales, other whale species, right? Yeah, Amazing. gray whales in particular. Mm -hmm. They'll drown the calves. Humpback, they'll drown the calves frequently. They just kind of pile on them and keep them pushed underwater and... So I, I know there are people who've had the unbelievable experience of being in the water with orcas. Uh, Jorge Hauser, who we had on the podcast last autumn, great a great podcast, has had that on a few occasions now. Something about this trip and seeing these magnificent creatures, I, it's a fantasy to me as a wildlife photographer or trying to create a documentary of these animals' lives. You know, and I've I've done it with moose where I you know, followed them through the seasons and illustrated their behaviors. Mm -hmm. But to do that with orcas, I was thinking as just watching these pods with these huge males, what happens when a female comes into heat? How incredible would it be to be submersed with them underwater and see how such an intelligent, massive, powerful creature establishes their hierarchies? I mean... What do these males do? Is it just posturing? Do, do battles happen? To me, when I was seeing them, I mean, because there was, more, I think there were two, if not three males with that pod that without in the open water. Mm -hmm. And with the giant, with the giant bull. Yeah, one yeah. big bull, but there was another one that wasn't too far off. He didn't have as wide a dorsal fin, but it was almost as tall. It seemed a little flimsy, but tall. So it had still a big whale. You know, how do they figure that out? Do they have, I mean, most species, antlered animals clash together and figure out and they fight. It'd just be something to be able to document and film that. You know, to this point in time, I don't know if anybody's captured that or if it's possible, but as technology advances, to spend a year with orcas and being in the water and trying to sh illustrate their behavior and life history would be, I'm ready. I would you need to win the lottery. <laughs> well, there's that. There's that. We need support. We need support for that. You need to buy your own boat. Oh, yeah. No, with all those elements. And you better hire a captain, too, because... Oh, I can't you got to know. You got to know so much out there. That was the other thing I was impressed. I mean, there's so much to know about driving mm -hmm. those. But these experiences just make one think that way. It's a big, wild, wild world. Mm -hmm. And we're exposed to what we think is a lot of it, but it's really not. See, I thought, my thought, when the, when we had to stop the boat, because they were approaching the boat, so we had to shut everything down and just sit in the water. And the big bull came directly under the boat, and I saw the tip of his nose, and then I just kept seeing whale. It just kept coming. <laughs> he was enormous. And my thought was, Jorge is crazy. <laughs> There's no way. Because I, I always thought, yeah, that would be amazing. I, I would love to be in the open water with, with that. I thought animal. about it. Sorry, you finish. But, but that whale was huge. I could not believe how big he was. But they're such smart They are, very mammals. And, I mean, the water's cold. You'd have to be totally prepared for it. But given... I was thinking as silly as this to take the Osmo action camera submersible and hop off the end of the boat when he was 10 yards away and going through. I'm not me personally. I would not expect a negative reaction because they're such smart 
marine mammals. Please. But to, to get that, to jump, to have that footage of him going past right at the boat versus, I mean, we could have submerged the camera if we knew it was going to happen in time, but to have jumped, anyway, I know it's a silly thought, but what an experience that would have been not necessarily recommended. I have no idea what the outcome would be, but I'd be willing to try it myself just because of the... Yeah, it was, that was amazing. But the water's way too cold to do it and I'm sure our captain would not have approved so I didn't do it <laughs> but the point is it just gets my mind to thinking there's so much we don't know and just to be able to understand these animals better and the world that they live in share this planet with us it just you can't help but finish not only just one day one day would do it out on this boat experience but after three days it's like wow you know you know nothing Mark Raycroft you know it's, it's it would it, there's so much to learn and, and it was one, with those orcas to me there are times as a wildlife photographer you know there might be a handful every year maybe six times where wow that was just you know chilling amazing experience and that was one of those moments where eyes are as open as wide as they'll ever be all our senses are heightened and they're coming right toward the boat you know, they dip down. Are they going to surface right here? Are they going to go under? There's so many variables. How do you best document this and really be in the moment? You can't help but be in the moment. That's the point. Well, and what it's do they call it? Periscoping? Oh, spy hopping. Spy hopping. Mm -hmm. I was like, kind of wanting to see that. And when they came close to the boat, I'm thinking, well, are they curious? Do they, you know, they're probably, if they, had they known Mark Rakoff was on the boat, <laughs> they may have got a little spy hoppy. But Some guy was so excited he might jump in with them. Yeah, right. Yeah. But they see so many boats out there. I mean, yeah. it's like nothing new. But we saw one do it when it, there was a bigger boat over there next to him. Really? I saw one spy yeah, hop once. Vertical. Yeah. And that was the, the big pod that we saw. I can, I can put a picture in the show notes from when we saw Orca off of um, Anacortis Island in washington state we got to see that behavior but it is neat um what i was going to say along with those behaviors and it ties directly in to what we've been talking about photographing we've talked a lot about how in awe we were up you know out there on the water but when we look at trying to document that, the difficulties with, with photographing or being able to document these behaviors, number one, you have to be in position. Number two, you have to be looking in the right direction because, you you know, the boat could have been in position. But if we anticipated them coming up somewhere else, obviously we don't get to shoot it. It happens behind us and you might turn and get to see them going back underwater, but that's all we got to see. Well, and being a newbie, you just only have so much knowledge, right? You know, yeah. like with elk or caribou, you kind of know. We've done it so much, you know. You see a behavior and you're like, oh, and well, you can, this is yeah, what's going to happen. And you can see the behavior. Predict it. Yeah. yeah. And here, you don't see the behavior. You know, I was in awe of what's going on underneath the water that we don't even have a clue. That's it. I mean, I saw a graphic in town where they had an illustration of here's the fjords, the side of the fjords, here's the water level, here's the life next to the the sea walls right all the way down to the bottom and it shows where halibut live and it shows where the salmon live and it shows where the whales are at and the whales basically can go wherever they want to go sure so you could i mean yeah it would be years to have any sort of well, only, idea it only creates respect for these oh yeah right. and for the people who are out there because mm -hmm. captain sam had unbelievable breaching humpback photo that he took with his iphone mm. standing on the bow of his boat you know what he did say i don't know if you guys heard it he said that's the closest he's ever seen orcas yeah he did say that, he did say that. Yeah. a couple that's times. something I mean, he, he too right excited. that dude's been out here for i don't know 15 20 years i think so and that was the closest he's been to orcas i thought mm -hmm. that was kind of cool for us i mean because that that means it's not an everyday occurrence. A couple of them went under the boat within three feet yeah. in the water. Yeah. So you could look under, and if you weren't looking under the surface, if you're watching the surface, you would not have seen them. Mm -mm. And, no, uh, and you basically see the the white parts and the saddle patch on you know right behind their dorsal fin. Mm -hmm. That's what 
just, would kind of catch your eye and tell you what you're looking at. It's just like a little barrel roll just going right underneath yep. and it's just silently drifting by and that was it. Pretty awesome. So it's well, worth, we talked worth. a lot about whales, but I still think the glaciers were cool. Well, so much and, to this trip, yeah. so much. I loved, I, honestly, and I'm, I. Birds always attract my attention. I am not a birder. I am not a bird photographer. I am an opportunistic bird photographer, but I enjoy. There's such lively species, and on the water, and on these cliffs, and the diversity, and the colors, and. Really, the, the puffins, the flying potatoes, <laughs> the puffins, that's one of the, the nicknames. There's so many great nicknames up here for these different species. When they're full of fish, they can't take off. Or they can, but the effort, you notice it. Hop, 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 skimming the waves. Mm -hmm. They're just so entertaining. So well, I, and that it, was a big part for me, too, even those subtleties. Those With the puffins, you, you all need to go look at Ron Niebrugge's Instagram page. Right. And look at the picture he's got of a puffin. And I'm sure there's plenty of people that have this picture, but it really makes you appreciate what goes into getting that picture because that's just not an everyday occurrence. It sets the mark. Yeah, it does. For they for are flight shop. Very fast. Yeah. Right. Once they, they get airborne. These little air torpedoes. They're moving. <laughs> Difficult to photograph. Sound and, effects. And the opportunities don't come around all that often. And that was just one of the difficulties that, you know, photographing from a boat. The other was, and these guys were pretty much sitting still, <laughs> the sea lions. But everywhere that they chose to come out of the water was rough. I mean, it, it was rough around all these rocks and all these islands. So every time we stopped to photograph sea lions, you better have your sea legs. You better have your sea legs. And right. Honestly, there were a couple times where I had to have both feet out and then lean back and brace against the cab of the boat. Or use or a buoy. Cabin or, mm. or the one time we did use a buoy. And that was not, it was not as stable as I thought it might be. <laughs> so, yeah, you're in that rough water. The boat is raising and lowering up to what? I, I have no idea. I guess ten feet or at least six, eight, ten feet. It felt yeah. like that right along the shore, as it would ebb. Oh, out for sure, ebb in. for sure. Because you could be up on top, mm -hmm. and then it would go down enough where you would, you would see water above you. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just the it's just the tide coming in, and right. And so one of the you know one of the setups that we had was this real neat rock, and they were a little bit more animated than most of the sea lions that we saw because most of the rest of them were sleeping um, but they were there was one bull i think they're bulls i believe so male sure um but he was he was up and he was interacting with the female and i was trying to get that photograph and then you every once in a while you'd see the water hit that rock and it would shoot up behind him so you wanted that sea spray in the photograph also and every time i tried to time that when the sea spray was hitting the rock, it was because the water was coming in and so turbulent. And so the boat was just going crazy. So there were definitely times where I lost my footing, got tossed off to the side of the boat, and just trying to get the one image that I had kind of made up in my mind that I had to have. So that, that was one of the most challenging photographic situations and I would say that the technology we have today still doesn't pull it off. I mean, with our hand Not holding, consistently. well, exactly, <laughs> because you're you're moving. You've got your autofocus on the animal, but then you just move ten feet, and it's nonstop. So it's motor drive. You try and get it; it's on there. Not only do you move ten feet, but now you're at a forty degree angle, and yep. trying to maintain your horizon while you're getting that image. Yeah, and the boat might slightly be pivoting, and, and then there's, like you said, there's the perspective of the animals on the rock. You're mm -hmm. down, you're up. What do you want for your background? Do you want the spray? There's so many variables you cannot control in that setting. That was that was probably, aside from trying to get puffins in flight, blasting past supersonic <laughs> speeds, that was the most challenging right. situation. And I filmed some of it. We'll put We'll put those videos, even just with the Osmo Pocket or my iPhone, I stood back behind you. So we'd see the swells and up and down and, and just incredible spot. 
with the tide, just power of that water. And the fact that these sea lions is no problem. And it's something about the puffins too that I was mm-hmm. reflecting back on that Bill mentioned is that they look awkward on the surface and taking off is awkward. But clearly when they're in flight, they're super fast. But it's under the water that they're really mobile and mm-hmm. and, and are very... Um, well, that's what... There again, I think you need a lot of time with those sea lions to figure out. Because a lot of times we'd go by and they'd all be just laying there in the sun, right? right. Sleeping. It's cool for us because we've never seen it, but it's never going to win an award. It's never going to, I mean, it doesn't even really show that much behavior. Every now and then you mm-hmm. get one to raise up or whatever. But that's another thing. Like you could spend two weeks just with sea lions and just figure out, okay, when do they come back in the water? You know, it'd be cool to see all of those animals coming in right. at once. Or it'd be cool or to see them all coming out. out at once. Or it'd be cool just to see some behavior between, I don't even know, mama and baby. I don't know. It's just... We did get to see a little bit of that. They were a little bit further away. It was difficult to catch it all, but he did take us kind of by that rookery. And they were way more active because he had those young ones there, I think, probably. But And there are the limiting factors of the Marine Mammal Act, Mm -hmm. which... Mm -hmm. And Bill was really good about that. He would never... I don't even know what all the distances are, or if it's just a straight-up distance for everything, but he would keep the distance. And yeah, definitely. A lot didn't make for great photographs in certain situations, but that's fine. Yeah. It was okay. Well, you chalk it up for a life experience if you don't get the photos. You still you still saw it and experienced it, and, and that rookery colony was bigger and, and yeah. quite interesting. Yeah, a lot of animals. It was humorous to watch some of the seemed like the adolescent sea lions were sleeping a little closer to the water and once in a while a big swell would come up and whoop, off they went <laughs> away we go i guess we're going fishing now <laughs> so much for that nap <laughs> yeah so anyway it was well worth doing and, and before we went on the trip and not knowing anything about it you know it seemed I was I was concerned about the weather and it seemed expensive, but after we're finished, uh, absolutely not. Not when you split up the costs and we we were fortunate for the days we had for weather, which anybody could have. You never know. No regrets. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just yeah, I if we've I've got to get thesaurus going with more of these words because the, we're truly privileged to to live this life and to to witness these things and you know we're so excited to share it with our audience in any way that we can. So a lot of this content, virtually everything, as far as the experiences we had, we've collected it on so many mediums, it'll be easy to pop it up on our website in the show notes. And it'll be on lots. It'll be trickling through Instagram over the weeks to come. Missy will have some stories up her sleeve. Watch for those. That'll... She's already got them. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and that's one thing to point out. We all thought we would get the stuff on Missy this trip because she gets seasick. Oh, yeah. I screwed up. Yeah, and I'm, you I'm you screwed that one up. Go ahead and confess because we got the, I think it's scalapamine or something like that. It's, it's the motion sickness patch that you put behind your ear. And I got them for my son and I because I didn't want anything to, you know, ruin the trip. Didn't want to be sick. I didn't know if I got seasick or not. Neither does he. But we had an extra one, (laughs) and I let Missy use it, and she was just fine, hopping around, smiling, laughing, enjoying the whole... And that has never happened. We've been on boats a lot, and planes, boats, it doesn't matter. She can get seasick watching a video on a phone. And we were in rough water, but we were in some active water, and Mm -hmm. you'd have thought she just was sitting around the table with us right now no problems at all so it speaks highly of that stuff i mean i don't know if it just worked especially good with her or if it you know you just did it worked mm-hmm. it's good stuff scopalamine it was, i can't remember but it's good it's the patch whatever is on that patch now obviously there's stuff. proof right there that it works mm-hmm. somebody who's seasick every time and then tries that and they're she's not i was relieved that i held it together and enjoy the trip for that reason i had no idea either about that whether i'd spend half a day feeling ill or and pilly's got good sea legs she sailed a lot as younger through her youth so 
yeah, it was, it was a great trip for everybody. I'm glad everybody was able to enjoy it that way and not, not feel sick, too. Except for the time where I almost got blown off the boat. <laughs> <laughs> that has already been shared in an Instagram story. It will be bound to surface again. It'll right. definitely be in the show notes. There we go. If you didn't Let's see it on that. Instagram, because I think it was on Instagram story, so it won't be there. Don't go look there. Go look in the show notes, because I'm sure Missy will put that there. We yeah. had some fun on the boat. Absolutely. Lots of fun. It's such, a, it's such an amazing space to be in. How can you not have fun? Well, and I guess that's one more thing to mention about that boat, is you're not regulated. You don't have to sit on the seat while you're going from point A to point B. If you want to get up and go walk around, you can go walk around. If you want to hang out on the back, hang out on the front. As long as you're not jumping overboard, Bill mm -hmm. really didn't care. Right. There was a couple of times when we were cruising through the ice where he'd be like, Just don't block my view because I need to you know, navigate through these ice flows. But mm -hmm. other than that, he could care less where you were at or, you know. So that is kind of cool because you got all kinds of freedom. And if you see something cool, you don't necessarily have to stop the whole boat. You can just step out, take some pictures, and then let it go. So as far as a life experience, no question about it. From what we had, we were fortunate with weather, but it's something to look into if you're ever up in Alaska to experience the coastline of the Kenai Fjords. Our experience with Bill. We'll I'd, give you his name, but you can only use him in May and August. That way you don't steal our date, our dates. There is that, <laughs> right? No, we'll, we'll share the uh, information. I mean, It's on his podcast that we did with him as well. If you revisit those show notes, you'll see that connection to his website and information. So definitely check out this week's show notes. There's a lot of material that we're excited to share with you from our three days on this boat in this magnificent part of coastal Alaska in the Kenai Fjords. You can see more of our team's work on Instagram, Facebook, our YouTube channel. Check that out. It's developing more all the time, and we're excited to share that content, as well as our website at wildandexposed.com. And no matter what podcast platform you're listening to us on, make sure to hit that subscribe or follow button and to give us a positive review, a five-star rating, or a thumbs up as those truly help us to do what we love to do and to bring you this podcast and this content on a regular basis. I'd like to take a moment and thank our hardworking and talented producer, Missy McKenzie, for all that she does behind the scenes to create this show for your listening enjoyment. Until next time... You've been listening to Wild and Exposed Podcast. Thanks for tuning in.